Good morning, Colonial Baptist Church. Well, uh, it's a beautiful weekend. Uh, what a great gift from God, and it's a great weekend to, to celebrate Easter. We actually start this week by joining together to uh, worship Him normally in uh, our auditorium, but uh, nothing's going to hold us back. We're going to celebrate and worship Christ together, uh, our, uh, together at our homes this week and uh, rejoice in Him uh, this is a day we celebrate that Jesus is risen. Uh, he's risen indeed, and uh, so we look forward to doing that. Uh, I'm sure that this Easter will be much different than uh, other Easter's you've ever experienced in your life uh, at home there. What a un unique time we're in. Uh, so uh, regardless, what I'd like to do is to give you a very short Easter sermon uh, for you to consider and uh, this sermon will be all about Jesus, and so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, and uh, we will look there uh, together. Romans chapter 10. We are living in a time of distance today, uh, where you have to keep a safe distance from other people, six feet or so, uh, social distancing. Uh, most people can't wait uh, for this virus to be behind us so that they can... Uh, be near to their friends and relatives again. Uh, so for me, for instance, I, I cannot wait for this to be done so that I can have people in this auditorium that I can interact with again and to celebrate and worship with you every Sunday. I, I'm longing for that, and um, I hope and trust that you're longing for it as well. Some of you have started communicating with me. You just can't wait to get back together and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we, we want to be near one another again. Yet the Bible talks about a different relationship, an even more important relationship than our relationship with each other. It's our relationship with God. And the text of Scripture says that that relationship naturally is at a distance. Well, the simple message of Easter is that Jesus died and rose again to bring us near to God. The Apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus throughout uh, Jesus' earthly experience, ministered side by side with him, one of the close friends of Jesus. He explained it this way. He said, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us near to God. At the end of that passage, we find a spatial metaphor. You were naturally far away from God uh, but Jesus dies in your place as your substitute, the innocent one for the guilty, to bring you near to God. The Apostle Paul agrees fully with what Peter said in that passage, and he says it this way. He says, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this morning, to learn more about this distance, this chasm between us and God that is overcome through Jesus, we're going to look at Romans 10, 5 through 13. These verses come in one paragraph that has two parts. And in this passage, Paul wants you to listen to the voice of three people. That's how we'll look at this text. There are two people in verses 5 through 8 and one in verses 9 through 13. So let's start by looking at the two important voices he wants you to hear in verse 5. It says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This text starts out in a more complex manner, and then it ends uh, the next uh, section in a very simple manner. So as we go through this complex manner, I think the easiest way to look at this would be to understand that Paul is using different Old Testament passages, and he has two people communicating them to us. So if you look down in your Bible at verse 5, you could underline the words, Moses writes. The first person he has communicating scripture to us is Moses. But then you go to verse 6 in your Bible and you would underline these words. The righteousness based on faith says. The righteousness based on faith says. Here the key to understanding these verses is to see these two characters. Now you probably know who Moses is. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Old Testament the Pentateuch. He's a former leader of the children of Israel. You remember he brought the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness wanderings right up to the brink of the promised land. That's who Moses is. But Paul's reference to a personified righteousness based on faith character is confusing. It's confusing to me when I first looked at this text. But I want to introduce you to this righteousness based on faith character. Sometimes in literature, authors will do this. They will identify a character trait or virtue and personify it, make that a person. So for instance, I was thinking this week of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Perhaps you know that book written by John Bunyan. So in Pilgrim's Progress, Pliable is a person. He's a person who turns back to the city of destruction after the slew of despond. He was with the main character, Christian. If you've read this story, most people have at least heard of it. Christian meets not only Pliable, but later on he meets a man by the name of Goodwill. Another by the name of Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Another by Mr. Legality. Later on, as, as Christian is going through his journey, he's introduced to three men. Their names are Simple, Sloth, and Presumption. These are character traits that Bunyan personifies. Now, in the scriptures, there are other authors who do this as well, or other people who communicate this well. So, for instance, in the Psalms, Psalm 85 in verse 10, the psalmist uh, personifies four character traits. He says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. So he has these two figures, steadfast love and, and faithfulness meeting, like two people meeting. In that same psalm, near the end of the psalm, he says, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Like two people uh, embracing and kissing each other. But uh, in the New Testament, there, there's another figure who does this, and this is Jesus. Jesus, at one point in Luke eleven forty nine 49, introduces us to a character called wisdom. That's the character's name, wisdom. Jesus says, therefore also the wisdom of God said, 
And then he has wisdom speak to the people who are gathered around him. So in Romans chapter 10 and verse 6, Paul puts flesh on righteousness based on faith and he has him speaking to us. So to work through this a little bit more challenging passage, let's just look and see what these two characters tell us. We start first with Moses. And Moses says two basic things to us. First, Moses says in verse 5 that obeying all the commandments brings life. You say, where do you see that? Look in the middle of verse 5. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In this part of the verse, Paul is citing Leviticus 18 and verse 5, where it appears that Moses is saying something like this. If you keep the commandments of the law of Moses, then you will have eternal life. I think that is how Paul summarizes Moses' teaching in this passage. And, and Moses says this sort of thing all throughout Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He says, to gain righteousness through the law, a person must do all the commands, all the decrees, all the statutes of God, and thus live by them. That is, what Moses is saying is that perfect conformity to the law brings eternal life. Now, in my opinion, this is something Paul would fundamentally agree with uh, in his theology and teaching. For the scriptures, they work well together. They never disagree with one another. The problem, however, for Paul is that no one could do that. No one could perfectly obey God's law. It's not possible for us because we're all sinners and we sin. No one can perfectly obey God's laws. I think Paul makes that clear all throughout the book of Romans, this excellent epistle that he gives to us. Uh, he does it in places like Romans 3 when he, he says this. He says, there is none righteous. No, not one all have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I mean, could he make it any clearer? Perhaps a little later in, in Romans, he, he does just that when he says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. That is, not one human being from the fallen race of Adam could be justified by obeying the law. Okay, but that leads to an interesting dilemma in the text that comes in the next passage that comes from Moses' writings found in verses 6 through 8. So keep looking in your Bible and look with me at the middle part of verse 6. Do not say in your heart... Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Okay, these verses contain a portion of another text of scripture I'm going to invite you to turn to. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I want to look with you at verses 11 through 14. I'll have you turn here and uh, I'll invite you to keep your finger in this place. Because we're going to refer to this passage a few times over the next few minutes in the sermon. In Deuteronomy 30, we come to 
the very important grand conclusion of Moses' book, the Pentateuch. In this section, he gives a final sermon to the people of Israel. And in verses 11 through 14, he encourages them to make a choice in how they're going to live. Look with me at verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you would say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. In these verses, Moses is saying that it's easy to obey the law. It's near you. He says, don't say, we need to climb up to heaven to bring it down. Or we need to make a journey across the sea to the other side of the sea. He's saying, it's not hard to obey Torah, the law. But what is actually true? Is that, is that actually true? Isn't the opposite true? Like Paul said, that no one can possibly obey all of the law. Well, that's where we'll need to look at the other voice that Paul quotes from, that imagined character, righteousness based on faith back in Romans 10. So keep your finger right here in Deuteronomy 30. Go back to Romans 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 6 through 8, we learn that they actually come from the perspective of this person, righteousness based on faith. I think Paul creates this imagined person to give his own perspective here and to make some important points. Now to uncover what Paul means in this passage, I want to give you five summary statements. This is a, a little bit of a challenge, pa challenging passage, but I think these statements will make it more clear to you and we'll put them on the projector for you. The first Moses makes it clear in earlier passages in Deuteronomy that Israel can't and won't obey the law. So you still have your finger in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we're going to look at some verses, but uh, I would encourage you sometime this week to go back and look at chapters 26 through 30. These are amazing uh, chapters that you need to read and be familiar with. It's a section uh, that describes different blessings that would come upon the children of Israel if they would obey the law of Moses, different curses if they disobeyed it. But it's also a section where Moses predicts that the Israelites will eventually succumb, be judged by God, and be dispersed among the nations because of that, their disobedience. So look with me at Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 and 2 so I can just show you this for a second. It says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind uh, among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God. Okay, so in this passage, Moses is declaring that he expects that Israel can't and will not obey the law. And so because of that, they will be judged by God and dispersed to the nations. They'll be driven to different nations where they will need to return to the Lord. 
And so to understand what Paul is doing in this passage, I think you need to make sense of this. You need to know that Moses makes it clear in earlier sections in Deuteronomy that he does not expect that these Israelites will obey the law in the way that they should. Now go back to Romans chapter 10 again. There are these five summary statements I want to give you. The, the second one reads like this. Moses actually warns against responding to God's blessings with claims of personal righteousness. There's another text of scripture that I want you to consider, and I'll put it on the slide here for you. It's Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 and 5. You stay in Romans 10. Listen to these words in Deuteronomy 9, 4 and 5. It says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you giving, going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he might confirm the word that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So you see this passage in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, but look down in your Bible at Romans 10.6. And look at the middle of that verse where he introduces this quote from righteousness based on faith. And he starts with this little phrase, do not say in your heart. Do you know that, that part of this verse actually does not come from Deuteronomy 30, but it comes from the verse I just described to you, Deuteronomy 9 verses 4 and 5. So Paul weaves a portion of that passage into this verse to let you know what was on his mind. What was on his mind was Moses' warning uh, that they should not think that they would get the land or their possession through personal righteousness. It's not through your own works. What each one of us need to realize is that there is no amount of doing that can ever make it possible for us to achieve right standing with God. Paul agrees with Moses, both Old and New Testament declare there's no amount of works that anyone could ever do to achieve God's righteousness. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle, in one of the, the last letters that he pens, likely within a year or so of his death, says it this way. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. And so the second summary statement is this. Moses warns against responding to God's blessings with claims of personal righteousness. You didn't achieve this. God did it in grace. But third, we also need to know this, this idea that when Paul looks at these texts in Deuteronomy about perfectly obeying the law and gaining eternal life, I think Paul sees Jesus. That is what's different for him. Where other Jews would look at this text and they would see what Moses says about personal obedience. They see personal obedience. They see commandments. Paul sees Jesus. 
For you see, these things for him and for us and for, for all are fulfilled ultimately in the perfect obedience of Jesus. You say, where do you see that, preacher? In this passage, I say, look at Romans 10 and verse 4, right before this. 10 and verse 4, Paul says, for Christ is the end. It could be translated, the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So when Paul hears Moses talking about a perfect obedience being necessary uh, under the law of Moses to gain eternal life, he thinks of Jesus, the goal of the law, the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I think for Paul uh, as well, he sees Jesus in other places. If you remember what the people during Moses' days were likely saying, or what he warns them not to say in Deuteronomy 30. Oh, we'll, we'll have to go up to heaven to accomplish this great feat, or, or we'll have to go down into the abyss and get it done for us. Who is going to do that? We can't. It's too hard. But for all, or but for Paul, it's all about Jesus. So he gives us these very important parentheses in verses 6 and 7, which I think he, he tells us here that this is actually these Old Testament words about Christ. Look with me again at the middle of verse 6. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Who will go up there? The Jews might be thinking, who could possibly go up to heaven and get Messiah to come and help us? And he's telling us here, this is something that was actually accomplished through Jesus. And then you keep reading or who will descend down into the abyss, the grave? Who's going to be able to do that? And then Paul puts his parenthesis, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul believes that these things are fulfilled only when God sends his son from heaven and when God makes him alive again at his resurrection. And so... When Paul sees these Old Testament texts, when he reads them, he doesn't think they're necessarily about us, but they're about Jesus and his act and his perfect righteousness. The fourth summary statement is, is uh, now listed there for you as well. I would say this, when, when Moses said that the law was easy, I think he was talking about a different time in Israel's history. If you still have Deuteronomy 30, uh, there, I, I would like to just draw your attention to one verse in verse 6, right before the passage he quotes here. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Here in using language that's very similar to what he's calling them to do, loving God with all their heart and all their soul, here he talks about a promise a future promise from God that looks forward, I think, to the promises of the new covenant. God is going to come at a point when you repent in the future and he is going to send you or he is going to give you a circumcised heart. A new heart will be placed upon your children. I think he's, he's seeing Jesus here. This promise looks forward to the promises of the new covenant that only comes after Jesus fulfills the law for us and dies as a perfect, sinless sacrifice for us. And so that leads me to my, my, my last summary statement that helps us in verses 6 through 8, this complex text. 
where I would say it this way. So, because of all these things, Paul believes that the easy word of Moses now refers to the faith that he is proclaiming. Look at the very end of verse 8. Or actually, let's look at all of verse 8. But what does it, what does the righteousness based on faith say? It says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So Paul is saying here that the easy word that's in your mouth and it's in your heart, it's very near to you, you're just about ready to say it, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that it is the message that he and the other apostles have proclaimed. I want you to listen to the clear words of one scholar here in this text. I think this helps us understand as we close out verse 8 here. He said, in its original context, this text from Deuteronomy emphasized how easy the Mosaic law was for Israel to understand and do. But in Paul's hands, the passage becomes a witness to how easy God has made it for people to attain right standing through the gospel that he proclaimed. And so as we come to the second section, what I imagine happening here is you've got these two voices saying things to us. You've got Moses writing. You've got the righteousness based on faith speaking. But then in verses 9 through 13, these beloved verses, I think we hear clearly the words of the Apostle Paul as he appeals to us. These verses are wonderful verses. They are Easter-worthy verses. I love these verses. So look with me as all this complexity gives way to simplicity. Look in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here Paul again is using the Old Testament and he makes two points to us about what God requires. Paul wants us to know that the salvation that he and the other apostles proclaimed is twofold. It's, there's two characteristics of it. One, it's simple, verses 9 and 10. And two, it's available, verses 11 through 13. So Paul explains in verses 9 and 10 why righteousness based on faith says that the word that brings salvation is near. It's near because God demands only one simple response. The good news is you don't have to scale the highest mountain or descend to the greatest depths of the sea to be saved. You simply must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In this section, Paul's getting intensely personal with his reader. He changes the language so that he, he is now referring to the reader. He says, you, but if you will do this. And in this section, he wants you to think about your own heart, your own internal being. That's why in verses 8 through 10, he repeats these words over and over again, heart and mouth. Look in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. 
verse 9, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, look at verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Here Paul is making an important point about you. You must believe and confess from the heart and the mouth. Now, the logical order of these two things, I think, is found in verse 10. And we'll take them in that order. To be saved, God requires one fundamental act from you. That is, you must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. See that in verses 9 and 10. The word believe here fundamentally means to trust someone. Or to have faith in another. I've been married to Carissa for 20 years now. I'm thankful for her. We have grown in our understanding of one another. And I have learned to trust her. And to have faith in her. But in our text Paul says that we must have faith in someone else for salvation. We must have faith or trust in Trust that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that's what we celebrate today on Easter. On this very special day every year, the Christian church celebrates the reality that there was a moment that our creator God looked down on this world and reanimated the lifeless corpse of Jesus. Jesus was dead. He suffered and died in my place. But then three days later, his heart began to pump blood again. His lungs began to expand with air. For God brought him back from the dead. Men men and women, that point is so important for Christianity. I love how two old scholars writing together, describe the importance of the resurrection, their commentary. Over a hundred years ago, they said this. They said, Christianity stands and falls on the reality of the resurrection. That is, the whole thing stands or falls on whether or not God rose Jesus from the dead. So it's important as the foundation of Christianity, but Its importance is for everyone listening to me now. It's important for every one of your neighbors as well. This is the one fundamental response that God requires of you to be delivered. You must believe that God raised him from the dead. And so that is the message that we take to others around us and in this world. We don't go to the Muslim nations in mission with the message, get your act together, love others, be zealous for God. We don't take that message to unbelievers in our neighborhoods as well. No, we take Jesus to them and we say, won't you believe? Won't you trust in him alone? Won't you lean on him entirely? That's what God requires. 
that internal, genuine trusting or leaning on Jesus alone for our salvation. And that leads us to a confession. The text says that we must also confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, I think that it's important here to know that Paul's not saying that you can simply mouth some words, just say some stuff, a few words to avoid hell and go to heaven. It's not that. No, this involves both our heart, genuine belief, genuine belief in Christ, and then our mouth, confession. This confession that Jesus is Lord, I think, makes a few uh, important statements for us first it it gives it it is a statement about Jesus's divine status he is Lord in the Septuagint the translators of that document of the Old Testament use the word Lord here curios on hundreds of occasions to translate the Old Testament word for God Yahweh and so to make this confession We are saying something important about the nature of Jesus. We are saying he is God. But it's more than that. I think this confession also reveals something to us and to others about our very identity and our fundamental commitments in life. The one who confesses this says that he or she is subservient to Jesus. That you belong to him. That you are devoted to him. So this is not just saying something, people, that he's Lord. It's believing something in your heart and confessing. And so then the text continues in verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the result or the consequence of belief and confession, you'll be saved. But we need to ask what you'll be saved from, right? Like any good Baptist church, we're going to talk about getting saved. But what are we saved from? My answer to that simply is you'll be saved from hell. Be saved from hell forever and ever. Eternal, painful punishment by God on you because of your sinfulness. And you'll be saved from the pouring out of God's anger and wrath against your sinful rebellion against him. So as you think about all of this so far, God has made avoiding his wrath and hell simple. You must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that to others. But then in verses 11 through 13, I'll make one other point about this word that is near. And that is that it's available. Look with me at verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here Paul stresses who will be saved in this part of the passage. In verse 11, it's everyone who believes. In verse 12, he says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. We're all together because Jesus is Lord of all, of all people. 
And in verse 13, he says it clearly. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To call on the Lord in this text, I think, is to believe on him, to believe that God raised him from the dead, to confess him as Lord. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And the point of this text is part of the text is anyone can do that. And that is the single fundamental act that God requires for you to be saved. That is right standing with God based on faith in Jesus Christ. It's believing in Jesus and confessing him as Lord. And so as I close, I just imagine you to consider that there have been three voices in this text warning you today. Moses, righteousness based on faith, and Paul the apostle. Perhaps in this multitude of voices, God has been speaking to your heart. After this sermon today, you will never ever be able to say again that you didn't know. There's no one person who hears this sermon whom God has not spoken to today through preaching. So when you stand before him in judgment, if you are not a believer, he will bring back this to your mind. And Jesus will look at you and he will tell you something like this. That preacher told you, I bore the payment for your sin. And all you needed to do was believe in your heart that I rose from the dead and confess with your mouth that I am Lord. It was easy for you. The word was near you. But you did nothing. Depart from me. No, I appeal to you. Believe him today. Trust him. Lean on Jesus and his resurrection today so that it might be true of you. You were once far away, but, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is truly a, tr a tremendous day for salvation is available for anyone who hears my voice today and believes that God brought Jesus back from the dead and then confesses Jesus to be Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for these verses. I think, Lord, I memorized Romans 10, 9 and 10 when I was a small child, perhaps around kindergarten, I'm so thankful for the simplicity of the message. Sure, there was complexity before. We hear these voices appealing to us, but then Paul just makes it really clear, very clear, that salvation is attainable. It's possible. It's simple. It involves a word that's easy for us. Lord, I would pray for any person who hears this sermon today or any other day, they hear this sermon or read this text. Lord, I pray that they would see that salvation is only possible if they believe, if they believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And then they confess him as Lord, as evidence of that profession, of that belief. I pray that you would do this. I pray for those of us who do know Christ as Savior, we believe these things. We, and we have seen today the simplicity, the simplicity of salvation.
and how it's made possible through Jesus Christ's work. I pray that we would see the simplicity and the fact that it's available to all and recognize that, as Paul says, we now are debtors. We're debtors to proclaim this message to friends, neighbors, and others around us so that they too might be able to enjoy God, enjoy his presence forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.